Hey, and welcome to the podcast. David Leaf is our guest. He's a UCLA professor, a liner notes writer, an author, a filmmaker. He's got his hands in a lot of very interesting projects, and you can check more information about them at his website. It's leafprod.com, L-E-A-F-P-R-O-D.com. Super nice guy, very forthcoming. Uh, I really just read the newest parts of his book. God only knows the story of Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys, and the California myth. I had read the book uh, in the 80s, and now this new edition, uh, I read all the new parts. And so we just talked about mostly some of the new parts that uh, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into, and some things about the current state of Brian and the Beach Boys, and just things I'm curious about. So, uh, Beach Boys fan or not, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, it was real, it's always a pleasure for me to just blab uh, about the Beach Boys. You can email me, Michael S at WFMU.org, uh, if you want to reach out. And otherwise, hope you're healthy, happy, and uh, enjoy this, my chat with David Leaf. David, good morning and welcome to the show. The new book is called God Only Knows the Story of Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys, and the California Myth. It's just been released, or I should say re-released. It was first published in 1978, again in 1985, and now again in 2022. So let's just start with a real easy question. What what planted the seed in you that has made this such a long journey? Is there? Can you point to one thing or one time? Absolutely, and thank you for having me, Michael. Um, when I was 19 and in college, I read this article in Rolling Stone magazine about the Beach Boys that focused on Brian Wilson. And it, it inspired me to buy an album called Surf's Up. The article went on and on about this legendary album called Smile. And it's like, what is this mystery? And so the Surf's Up album, this, the last song on the album was this, the centerpiece song from, from that album. That, that never came out called Smile. And it was like, oh my God, this is as great as they say it is. This is unbelievable. And the song before it was called Till I Die, which is one of the saddest songs I ever heard. But it also was an indication to me that all of Brian Wilson's skills as a composer, arranger, producer, vocal arranger, singer were still intact. And my roommate and I in college, we spent a lot of time talking about this, analyzing it, trying to figure it all out. And eventually, before I was out of college, I kind of formed the notion, I'm going to move to California, write a book about Brian Wilson, become his friend, and help him finish Smile. <laughs> it, was that, it, it was that insane. Like, I'm going to run for president. I'm going to be president someday. <laughs> yeah, and it's all come true, which is just sort of incredible. In some ways, it's funny because in some ways, the book is also about you. It is about, it's about how you've changed uh, through the years. And as I was reading the newest stuff, which is from 1985 to now, and that some very interesting stuff has happened in that time frame, uh, 
it became apparent to me that as time moves forward, we sort of automatically recontextualize history and things that were spikes at one point become maybe smaller bumps as the timeline gets stretched out. And as I was reading the newest parts of the book, I, you know, it's just the amount of drama and ups and downs in this band's career and the personalities in their histories. And it's amazing. It's just lucky for us that you've had the chance to sort of go back. And I know it's all very personal for you to go back and uh, sort of look at it all again. And I'm wondering, uh, so at the end, when you left it last in 1985, there's a question coming soon, I promise. When you left it in 1985, <laughs> did you foresee that this, th- that the events that have transpired since then, is that what you were guessing would happen? Or, or was this largely surprise? Well, I was guessing about certain things, certainly. David Anderley, who was part of the smile era with Brian, had said to me uh, in the first edition of the book, "Nothing. the next great Brian Wilson thing will not happen with the Beach Boys. I could not have guessed what was to come. I was more concerned about him as a person. The spikes that you refer to, uh, which in retrospect were horrible at the moment, and then, as you say, become bumps in the road, they, they were dreadful. They were dreadful to live through. To, to see him in the hospital and there's nobody there visiting him. This is Brian Wilson. Why is nobody here? And, and, and the, the sadness of his life was, was this man who had given the world so much joy was not being taken care of, was not being, uh, you know, this is a, he's a king and he's being treated like, 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 like a serf. And and so I was driven. I was really, uh, and I grew up in in the in the '60s in, in college. A lot of a lot of tumult on the streets of, of Washington D.C. where I went to school, and and I was politicized. And 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 as a journalist, I I came to understand that that you could change uh, the world with a story, uh, inspired by Edward R. Murrow. And and for whatever reason, I I, I chose Brian Wilson as the story I was going to tell, I had no idea it was going to end up being such a large part of my life. Hmm. I think I, I wrote down this quote. When I wrote the original, I was 25, an intense, driven journalist on a mission to uncover the truth about Brian Wilson's life. And I get the feeling that through your journey, that maybe even the actual definition of the word truth has changed in your mind, like the idea that you could actually drill down as a 25-year-old with ideals and find the exact truth. Now, as a guy who's not 25, you realize that the, that the, the word truth is a more complicated thing. What I had to learn to focus on, and, and that I think I got it mostly right in the first book, was Brian's artistic journey. That's, that's what was always the thing of most import to me. I really didn't care about all the marriages and divorces and and, and, and the, the drama of being a, a touring band on the road, that's, that's for somebody else to write about. Why does, why does Brian Wilson matter was, was the focus of what I was writing then and, and now. And, and it, was, it was much more difficult then because there was no web, of course. And, and I felt that this book was designed to, to grab the world by the collar and, and shake it and go, hey, this Brian Wilson guy is really important. Why aren't you paying attention to him? And, you know, I think like, you know, I was, it, it was, it was a small cult of people who believed in that. And he's still a niche artist in a sense. It is sort of hard for me, my 
point of view is screwy when it comes to Brian Wilson that, you know, I want to live in a world where everyone understands that. There's an idea of Brian Wilson is a genius. Like that is a phrase that is in the zeitgeist of music people's world. And I was wondering, how did that, uh, do you know, how did that evolve? Was it an organic thing? Was it a PR campaign? And did your book have anything to do with that? So we'll start with how it how it began. And Brian Wilson was was among many things very very savvy about how the world worked, and he he loved the Beatles. He was competitive with the Beatles. And when Derek Taylor, the Beatles' publicist, moved to Los Angeles, he was hired by Brian and the Beach Boys to represent them. And when Pet Sounds came out, Derek Taylor, who who had maintained all of his links to the to the UK. Where, where there was a very lively music press, New, New Musical Express, Melody Maker, etc., he was able to write what looked like press releases under his name, <laughs> and they would be articles, and and one of them began, Brian Wilson is a genius, dot, 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 I think, and then went on to discuss <laughs> what that means. And, it, and, it, and it, by the time I got around to writing about Brian, it, it was just Brian Wilson is a genius, Hmm. And one of the things I did in this new edition, early on in, in the new introduction, the, the old book is bookended by new material. But early on in the book, first of all, we begin with a quote from Sir Paul McCartney, who has, a, you know, he, he, I had asked through his people if he would write an introduction. And I got an email back. He says, I don't have time to write a full introduction. Will this do? And it's a beautiful quote that discusses the genius of Brian Wilson. Um, I've worked with Sir George Martin, who told me that not only was were the Beatles competitive with Brian, but that Sergeant Pepper was their attempt to equal pet sounds. When I was talking to him, he assumed that Brian Wilson, like he, was the arranger and producer of the Beach Boys. He didn't know that not only did Brian compose all the music and arrange all the vocal harmonies, that it was Brian's voice that beautiful high falsetto on top of everything. And when I told George, Sir George that, he goes, that's not fair. <laughs> 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 and, and so at the beginning of the book, there's a long list of quotes from people starting with Bob Dylan about why Brian Wilson matters. Uh, you know, it's a long book. So it's like, why should I read this book? Well, the reason is that Brian Wilson's music is the classical music of the 20th century. And his story, which in the first edition and the second edition did not have a happy ending. This is really a celebration of his redemption and musical renaissance. And he's now 80 and he can now look back on what he did as Brian Wilson, but not just with the Beach Boys, with with great satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell us just sort of in a condensed version, what are the events, because not everyone listening is a Beach Boys expert, what are the events that you cover in the book that have happened 85 to present? Is there a a small, a short version of that? Sure. The, The things that really, really changed the course of who Brian Wilson is uh, in 1988, his first solo album came out, just called Brian Wilson on, on Warner Brothers Records uh, and Sire. But to my ear, the, the best solo album he's done. In 1999, of all things, Brian Wilson decided to go on tour. And that's where things really changed for him. He became 
comfortable, if not a great performer, became comfortable with playing his music for people. In 2000, he did a tour where he played the entire Pet Sounds album, which was the most unexpected thing imaginable. In 2001, uh, I wrote and produced with uh, Jersey native uh, Chip Racklin, thanks to Jersey native Eddie Mycone, and, and Brian Diamond at Radio City Entertainment, we produced an all-star tribute to Brian Wilson at Radio City Music Hall that featured Elton John, Paul Simon, Billy Joel, David Crosby, Jimmy Webb, Vince Gill, Carly Simon, and a whole host of others, including Sir George Martin, paying tribute to Brian. That led to the smile music, which was part of that event, becoming part of Brian's touring repertoire. And then in 2004, he did the impossible which is he presented smile live brian wilson presents smile world premiere in in london for a week at royal festival hall and i made a film about that called uh, beautiful dreamer brian wilson and the story of smile and uh, he was inducted into the songwriters hall of fame by paul mccartney he got the kennedy center honors he began to to create new music that was experimental like that Lucky Old Son, he recorded an entire album of Gershwin songs, including finishing two unfinished Gershwin songs. Uh, so, so those are some of the highlights of, of his solo career that, that have kind of made all the, all the bumps in the road worthwhile. Yeah, I, I love that uh, Smile film, and I highly recommend folks go see that. Let me step sideways for a minute. Where do you stand on Mike Love? Because in the updated book, you have a kind of a, what I would call a very diplomatic take on him. And I've had Mike on the show, and it was a very interesting situation with listeners, that there were people who, if you said Mike Love's a good lyricist, they they would say, no, you know, he's crap. Or he sings on, you know, a lot of incredible signature Beach Boy songs, uh, you know, Brian doesn't, did never needed me. You know, they just couldn't, they, they, they couldn't, there, there are people who cannot give Mike his creative due. And I don't, I, Mike has a lot of behavior that that's horrible. But for me, the strangest thing is that people just won't give him, Mike his creative due for what he's contributed to the band. But so just where do you stand on him right now? Well, I think as, as you read, uh, you know, I gave him his, his due. As 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 the lyricist uh, with whom Brian had the most success, and Brian said um, he's my favorite lyricist I've ever worked on. I mean, he's Brian said it. In terms of of Mike, Mike doesn't like me because he feels I give Brian too much credit. But as I as I wrote in the book, Brian was able to write absolutely magnificent songs with others, such as "In My Room," "Don't Worry, Baby," "God Only Knows," "Heroes and Villains." Brian wrote amazing songs on his own, like Surfer Girl. So the question is, what matters? And what matters to me is melody and harmony. And in that case, Brian is is the person who came up with the melodies and arranged the harmonies and taught them to the the Beach Boys. And uh, we were on tour, uh, or Brian was on tour in Japan, and, and he had asked me to go with him in 1999. And, and, there was a beautiful moment backstage where, where a man with very broken English said to Brian, your music makes my heart soar. This guy didn't know anything about surfing and cars and girls on the beach. He, was, he said, your music makes my heart soar. 
Now that said, Mike, you know, was a lyricist on a lot of great songs, uh, you know, most notably probably um, the warmth of the sun. So yeah, he, he gets, he gets his due, he gets his credit, but he's, you know, you ask the question or one asks the question, what did Mike do without Brian versus what did Brian do without Mike? And, and, and so the, so kind of the evidence is overwhelming that Mike needed Brian. Whereas, whereas Brian, uh, Mike was right there. He was his cousin. They were, they were, they hung out when they were teenagers. And, and so he's, you know, he's an, he's an enormous part of the beach boys success. Mike Love has kept the beach boys going for all these years. And one could ask whether that's good or bad. That's a different conversation. <laughs> I think it's good. I think Brian thinks it's good too. Well, it's, it's nice. They've got a, they've got a terrific band and they go out there and they give the audience a, a great, great show. But in terms of artistic movement and uh, development, the, you know, the Beach Boys as a group haven't made a great album uh, since, uh, you know, a really legitimately great start to finish album in 50 years. You know, whereas Brian has made some great records. I wonder, you know, if if the Beach, you know, if they'd made their first single and nothing happened and they all kept their thing going and, you know, Brian... I think Brian still would have been successful, although I could also see he might have been a high school music teacher. Who knows? And, I, you know, Mike would have worked in his family's sheet metal plant or whatever they were doing. Uh, but I do think that Brian would have had to get the music in him, out of him. But I'm not so sure uh, without Brian, Mike ever would have achieved musical success. I'll be more definitive than that. Uh, Mike was going to be successful. The only question was in, in what field he was going to be successful the beach boys first single was like them winning the lottery <laughs> there, there was there, there was no reason in the world you know you think about the beatles working their asses off for five years before they they meet brian epstein the, the beach boys worked for a few weeks <laughs> you know it's like there was there was no dues paying it, it, it was just an absolute accident and and when people say well what's the difference between the beatles and the beach boys well, Brian Epstein becomes the Beach Boys. I'm sorry, Brian Epstein becomes the Beatles manager in 1962, and Murray Wilson becomes the Beach Boys manager in 1962, and that may be as definitive uh, an answer as anything because Brian Epstein had a worldview, sophisticated man, an educated man. Murray Wilson wanted to keep it a family business, and sometimes family businesses are very successful or sometimes uh it takes ray crock to come in and, and buy mcdonald's from the mcdonald brothers and make it a worldwide brand mm. so so murray didn't have the vision he he was a frustrated songwriter he was frustrated everything in life and and he took it out on his sons but as brian says he he lit the competitive spirit under our butts and that's how we ended up doing what or at least from brian's point of view that's how i did what what he did moving from mike to eugene landy there's a lot about him in the book and a lot of stuff i didn't know he was brian's psychotherapist i guess or and it became this incredibly tangled unhealthy unprofessional weird uh relationship and he's in and out of brian's life a few times until there's a real turning point uh, when Brian meets his current wife, Melinda. You spent a lot of time 
around Brian and around Landy and were, you know, in the trenches, so to speak, uh, when this was all going down, uh, mm-hmm. sort of sort of just like you say, how could people uh, not help Brian in the hospital? You must have recognized there was some unhealthiness going on, but did you feel like over, did people feel generally, well, I guess this guy knows what he's doing, or were people madly trying to get Brian out of that? It depends which people we're referring to, of course. So Landy uh, Part 1 came about because Brian was in, in terrible shape in, in 1975, and his first wife, Marilyn, looked around and, and heard about this celebrity psychologist. He was not a, a doctor. A celebrity psychologist who had had great success, uh, notably, supposedly, with Rod Steiger. So he was, hi- <laughs> he was, so he was hired. Um, you know, we live in a strange world. Uh, the, the Wilsons lived, you know, just a few miles from the UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute, where maybe they could have gotten a better recommendation. At, at any rate, so Landy comes into the picture. What does what what is his job? His job is to get Brian into shape to work on a Beach Boys album, and they launch a gigantic Brian is back publicity campaign. At the end of the year, Landy is fired by the Beach Boys because he's getting too involved in Beach Boys issues. So it it raised the question in my mind, if Landy was hired to help Brian, why is it the Beach Boys that are are firing him? And the the answer, sadly, as I took it as a journalist and observer, was that Landy was hired to help the Beach Boys business, that that was the priority. They all put the Beach Boys business ahead of everything. When Landy was hired the second time in 1982, Brian was was going to die. Was Landy the only person who could have done what he did? Maybe. As Carl Wilson uh, told a friend of mine, he says, when the prayer went up, Landy is the one who answered it. So Landy is hired at the end of 82, and I'm around at this point. Um, and, and it was like, okay, well, let's see what happens. When I wrote the update of the book that came out in 85, my, my language about Landy was very careful because I'd been threatened by his representative with a, with a, a libel lawsuit if I wasn't. <laughs> so I really, uh, my, I chose my words very carefully in 1985. Uh, I, I'm, if, if I have my, my, my legal analysis correctly, you can't, be, you can't libel a dead person. So I was able to write more freely in, in this edition. Anyway, Landy does indeed save Brian's life. But then he, but he does it uh, like the first time he didn't have total control. This time, you want me? I have to have total control. And total control was such that nine years later, after Brian is finally freed from this this insane world that he's in, Brian says it was like I was in prison for nine years. What's strange about it is, I guess karma is the only word I can use that makes sense. So the two things that happen that nobody expected during Landy, Landy's reign volume two was that he introduced Brian or he, or he didn't introduce Brian, but he, he told Brian to date a woman who is now Brian's second wife, who Brian had bought a car from her. Um, and, and she was absolutely instrumental in getting rid of Landy. The other thing that happened that wouldn't have happened with any other doctor was that Brian began a solo career and Brian began a solo career because it was in Landy's economic interest. Mm. Cause rather than 
share a piece of Brian's money from the Beach Boys, he could make himself a 50-50 partner the way Colonel Parker had done with Elvis. And so he formed a company called Brains and Genius that Brian and, and, and he were partners in. And he, so he had total control of his life and total control of his business. Lindy he had total control of who Brian spoke to, saw. He had, he had control of what drugs Brian was administered and he was over-drugging Brian. So it was a horrible, horrible time. It's bizarre. And uh, one of the things I think you point this out in the book is that perhaps Brian's neurological current state, you know, his his the way his brain works now might have something to do with the overuse of the prescription drugs, because I think people always assume it, it was street drugs that he overindulged in that kind of scrambled his brain a little bit. But this idea that Landy just wanted to keep him so controllable that uh, he ended up like killing the golden goose almost. Well, he, he, he damaged the golden goose. Certainly the street drugs did Brian no favors. Although when you read what he had to say about LSD a long time ago, and that the first song he wrote after his first LSD trip was California girls. And, and that, you know, that's when he had his most productive periods with uh, summer days, summer nights, pet sounds, and good vibrations and smile. As an artist, it certainly opened a part of his brain in, in ways that we can't, there's no specific way to, to understand. The overuse of LSD wouldn't be healthy. The overuse of cocaine with, with his brother, Dennis, and with others, not healthy. I've heard that there was dabbling in heroin, but when you take psychotropic drugs, which were prescribed starting with the, when the advent of Landy's arrival in, in late 75, and you take that for almost 50 years, there's just an accumulated damage. And, and nobody knows what that is. There's no specific way to analyze it. But if you, if you look at Brian's life of abuse, uh, having been abused by his father, the pressures of the music business, the in, intergroup or intragroup politics, the difficulties he had with the record company, and you add in Landy and just the years, it's kind of a miracle that Brian is standing today, that he did was able to do what he did, and he, his brain isn't scrambled. It's it's just that he's you know, it's, it's tiring to be Brian Wilson. It was tiring for 36 years in every interview you did. When are you going to finish smile? When are you going to finish smile to be asked the same questions over and over again and not be someone who's comfortable in an interview circumstance. You know, I've got a friend who is on the autism spectrum and I've met Brian a few times and I did wonder, is it possible Brian has some sort of low autism spectrum? And has that occurred to anybody? Actually, it has occurred. I think Brian found his solace in music. I think that if he hadn't been so unhappy and so abused, and so he finds this joy in creating music, not even his own original music, but just imitating the four freshmen and learning how they do it, it becomes his obsession. And, and he, he learns that by singing and, and writing music, he gives himself peace. And then we're the, unknown, we're the unwitting beneficiaries of it. We get to listen to all this beautiful music and all this harmony and all this magic. 
and it makes us feel better. But it seems to me that he did it to make himself feel better first. That 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 you know, and and that became, I think, a big part of his life: sitting at the piano and creating music, and and finding what he called feels, ways ways to to. He's looking for a specific feeling as he's playing, and that's I think what's you know, when, when you talk about who gets credit for what, the feeling in the Beach Boys music comes from what Brian Wilson created. And in terms of the autism spectrum, he certainly, there's a there's certain self-obsession, but I think all great artists probably have that. Uh, the, the PR folks sent me this list of mostly video links to stuff that you reference in the book. And I don't know, is that on your website, which is leafprod, L-E-A-F-P-R-O-D.com? Is that list on there? I, you know, I think it is. <laughs> well, <laughs> folks, folks should, folks should check that out. There's some an incredible links to Brian uh, doing interviews. Like there's this one that I'd never seen. He's on Mike Douglas. And he's in some ways like a little kid. And you sort of see this throughout Brian's career. He's interviewed and he just says almost the uncomfortable truth. And I think like what, what you say is that he just does it because it's the easiest way to get from A to B rather than be phony or try to think of the right answer. He just says the truth. And it's completely, you realize how unusual that is to just hear the straight up truth on the Mike Douglas show. It, it is. You're referring to what I, I created, what I call a reader's guide, which, which I felt like as you're reading the book, because I, I, re, I reference a lot of articles and, and, and interviews and it's rather than the reader having to, to go search for them, you know, here's, here are the links. And the Mike Douglas interview was, you know, a perfect example of it. You know, the, the self-description, there I was like a, a Maharishi hibernating in the hills, snorting cocaine. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 so, so there's a couple of things at work here. One, there's a childlike innocence to him. That, that he doesn't think of the consequences of what he's saying. Two, you, you referenced the ease of just saying, blurting out the truth. Brian can be extremely lazy. So saying the truth rather than thinking of a, of a diplomatic answer is, is a much easier way to go. So he's, he's a guy who uh, he wouldn't deliberately hurt anybody. He doesn't have a mean bone in his body. And there's no conniving. It's more about how do I survive the moment? This is, okay, I'm on this television show. I'm, I'm being interviewed. What can I say to get to the next question? And so he comes out with the answer. And, and it's, it, it is, it's extraordinarily unusual, especially in, in an era where, where, uh, where image and brand is everything. He, he, he never worried about any of that. Yeah, it's and it's refreshing. You know, I I I love watching or hear or listening to that stuff. Uh, the two updates of the book, which were written after 1978 and after 1985, cover what is I guess uh, uh, you know it's hard to put your finger on a band that's had so many ups and downs, but some of the worst times in the career of that band. What would you if you had to put your finger on it? What is the lowest time in the Beach Boys' career? To me, the lowest time in the Beach Boys' career is is when Brian abandoned Smile in April of 1967. Because in abandoning Smile, he's saying, I'm no longer going to try to keep up with the Beatles. I'm no longer going to try to beat the Beatles. I'm no longer going to express the music that's deepest in my soul. I've given up. I can't fight this anymore. 
And so to me, that's that's the low point. That's so interesting because to me, like Smiley Smiley, Wild Honey Friends 2020, the next few records, even Sunflower, those are in some ways wonder. I love all of those records. And, I, and I've always felt that part of the reason was because after good after pet sounds and good vibrations and failed smiley smiley Brian did sort of give up and and in, instead of trying to you know fire all the guns at once he was just making simple you know and there's a lot more band collaboration in those records but to me I you know I just I, I love that the pressure was off and they were just doing this other thing you know they were just trying to survive do you not love those records I love friends 2020 is a more of a compilation and it's got amazing, amazing songs on it. But, you know, what are Brian's contributions to, to, to 2020? Time to get alone? <laughs> you know, it's like he's expressing exactly how he feels. Mm. You want to talk about another low moment? Because after Smile, Brian didn't immediately say, let's make Smiley smile. He's, he's still experimenting in the studio and he made this beautiful song called Can't Wait Too Long. He also signed a group which he named Redwood. He wanted to produce another vocal group. The Beach Boys were no longer his willing instrument. It was just too difficult for him. So he got this other group, which included three members, and he goes into the studio with them. And Chuck Negron, the lead singer of this group, who wrote a a book called Three Dog Nightmare, because this group Redwood became Three Dog Night, he describes the scene in the studio where Brian is producing them and three of the beach boys arrive and corner Brian and say, you can't work with them. You can work with us. And to me, that's the moment where Brian has to give up Mm. because he wants to do something different with these guys. And the beach boys aren't completely cooperative with what, what he wants to do with smile. So he's between a rock and a hard place. So what do I do? So what you get is smiley smile, which, which as Carl Wilson, Brian's youngest brother described, he said, smiley smile is a bunt instead of a grand slam for, for, for we Yankee fans out there. That was, that's a pretty disappointing (laughs) (laughs) description. The, the album uh, wild honey was as underproduced a record uh, as anything they'd done since uh, the Surf and Safari album. It's it's a bunch of songs that, you know, some of them are great, some of them aren't, but there's nothing about that album that fits the time or is ahead of the time. It's just an album. Uh, Fre- Friends, which was Brian's favorite album, if you asked him in 70 or 71, what's your favorite album? He would say Friends because there's a peaceful quality to it. And there's, there's a, almost a lyrical plea in the title song, Let's Be Friends. He's, he's, it's like they're trying to survive as a family and a group. And, and it's, it's very sweet, but it's very slight. That's so funny. I don't see it that way at all, but I, I totally hear what you're saying, yeah. Well, you know, us, us music nerds, we all we have we have these endless conversations. If if you if you looked at Friends, you would say, "Oh my God, he's got Diamond Head on there." That's an amazingly eclectic, brilliant piece of experimental music. So yeah, I can I can I can hear and you know Dennis is is stepping out as a songwriter for the first time, which was really important. Uh, which which uh, you know he would see real flower of, of his talent on the album Sunflower, and then his solo album. So th- there's a lot going on. But the, the, the reason I pick 67 is it's the year the Beach Boys no longer are significant in popular mm. music again. 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, it is kind of sad. It's my wife. She finds seeing Brian these days sad. You know, she just just her heart breaks a little bit, and I think there's that that tough thing when you're around Brian now. There's just he's such like you say he seems so innocent, and there's just so much promise. And I don't know. It's such a sad, sweet story. People should definitely read this book. Uh, tell me your your thoughts about the 50th anniversary tour because I saw one show and I thought it was fantastic. Fantastic. I really thought it was one of the better concerts I'd seen ever. And I read Mike's book and he kind of, you know, has his take on it. And it's interesting that Brian and Mike's books basically came out the same time and they made great back-to-back reading. But did you see that tour and what was the vibe between all the band members and how did you just feel about the whole, the show? As, as I write in the book, my, my first, my, my wife, who I met through Brian, because of Brian, uh, she had gotten sick in 2008 and so I was, I, she had an autoimmune disease. So I was no longer um, hanging around people because I didn't want to bring any, anything mm. home. And uh, so I didn't see the tour. Uh, so I, I heard from people that it was great. I thought their, their 50th anniversary album, that's why God made the radio was much better than we had any right to think would happen. Absolutely. Um, uh, so, so, you know, I thought it was a successful endeavor but I also heard the behind the scenes squabbles and that, that, the, that all the beach boys except Mike wanted to keep going and Mike didn't. Hmm. Um, he wanted to get, he wanted to get back to his touring uh, efforts. Mike, Mike has toured since Carl Wilson died. Mike has toured as the beach boys. And, and so having a, a lot of other egos around didn't work f- for him. So the old wounds were, were reopened if you will. Uh, on the tour, unfortunately, but I heard nothing but great things about it. I've heard nothing but great things about, you know, Mike's Mike's current band and the, and the, and the song list they do. Uh, in in terms of Brian's shows, uh, you know, they're this year they they became difficult to watch because, you know, he loves being on tour. If you ask Brian, what do you want to do? He says, I want to go on tour. He loves being around his musicians. To Brian, his musicians are his family. He loves hearing his songs brought to life with, with the feeling that he infused them with and the integrity of getting every note act exactly right. He loves hearing the audience's response. He just doesn't show it on his face. Um, and maybe he's thinking of what's happening after the show when he can get a room service steak. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's 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 an odd it's an odd circumstance yeah. that I have no explanation for. I once asked him backstage, uh, and I tried to be diplomatic, and I said, you know, sometimes when I'm watching you on stage, I can't quite understand, feel what you're thinking. I I, I don't have an inkling to what you're thinking up on stage. And Brian said, well, mostly I'm thinking, don't mess up, don't mess up, don't mess up. <laughs> well, that's there you go. I mean, that's that's what he's thinking. Yeah, and he's thinking he's in he's in the song he's singing. He's he you know he he has a teleprompter so he's 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 singing it sometimes great and sometimes not so great sometimes uh not he'll sing a verse and then not sing the rest of the song there's just no way of knowing you know what's going to happen in, in a particular show last year's tour he was he was singing very strong and 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 very present this this year's tour not so much so you know it's he is as curious an artist as always. One of the reasons the book is called God Only Knows is many, is, I think I've written more words about him than anybody else alive. 
maybe spent as much time thinking about it and talking about it and who he is and what he is and obviously spent a lot of time with him as a friend, but it is an inexplicable quality to all of it. Um, so God only knows is the, often the answer to, to a question like yours. Um, what the book hopefully provides is great insight into him as a person and, and, and him as an artist, more importantly. He, he just, he is really a, a regular guy. I and mean, we used to go swimming at the Y, we'd go bowling, we'd go to the movies. He loved going out to dinner in, in the car, singing along to the car radio. So, so he's not, as a person, he's just, he's just a guy. And, and that's what he loves, being treated as just a guy. Uh, being treated as Brian Wilson is very difficult because you don't want to be idolized. You want to have a human relationship. And it's difficult when people are telling you how their music changed their life. He knows mm. it. He appreciates it. But he much would have somebody say, hey, you know, there's this great hot dog place called Walter's in Mamaroneck. Let's stop there on, on, the, on, the, on the drive. <laughs> I went to Mamaroneck High School. You ate there a million times. Oh, then you know. Then you know Walters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Still, still there. Um, we 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 did go there. Yeah. Um, oh, I wish I had. I would love to have been there for that. Uh, you know, Al, Bruce, Mike, uh, Brian, even David. They're all very unusual personalities. You spend five minutes with any of those guys. I mean, Bruce. You know, it's just like Al. They're they're just like space. They're just different and I, and I and I was reading the book and I was thinking like well how much of this is chicken and egg like you know for Brian like it, how much the fact that they're all such oddballs and I say that mostly lovingly uh, how much of that is because they went through this experience of being beach boys or how much of it is just they were born that way or are we all born weirdos and when you're in show business, you, you you get to you get away with acting that way, or you know you know what I mean. Is it which which is it? I, I think it's it's the latter. I don't think any of them are odd, as, as 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 by nature. But if you're in high school, and suddenly you're in the Beach Boys and and touring, it's a mind bending experience. And then suddenly you're out of the Beach Boys, and it's like, well, wait a second. Suddenly Dave Marks is Pete Best, and, you know. And then he's back in you know, 30 something years later, it does strange things to you. Fame, Barry, Barry Gibb said to me of the BG said to me many, many years ago, the most difficult thing to do is survive first fame. In, in many ways, the beach boys lives, the individuals were, were twisted by first fame in, in ways that, uh, you know, can't, can't be, explained unless unless you went through it but this you know everyone has their own you know their own nature you know why does somebody you know sit in the basement and play guitar until they're good enough to to play on a stage you know that takes a certain kind of personality but the the beach boys is a warping experience i think i think fame of any kind is a warping experience and and here it is now you know it's 60 years since they signed with Capitol records so they've always been the Beach Boys first, and then the individual second. When you write a book like this, you you take some stands, especially it seems like as you've gotten older, you, I don't know if you care less or you just, you know, you're a little more free with your straight up opinions about, about things. Uh, do you get blowback from fans who, uh, because there is this weird thing that some fans want to protect the band even from the truth, you know, or, or some just disagree about 
how to interpret uh, the history. Do you have, have you gotten that? Do you, how do you deal with that? Yes, I've gotten it. And how do I deal with it? The very first line of the 1978 book, I believe, is this is the story of Brian Wilson. So that was the story I set out to tell. That's the story that I told in the in the in the brief update in '85 and in the enormous update in, in its new edition. So the blowback comes from people who, why aren't you talking more about Carl and Dennis and Mike and Al? And I said, that's not the story I set out to tell. So um, there are people who, who, you know, refer to me as a Brianista. <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, it's so, so it's like, okay, so how do I deal with that? Well, Sir George Martin, Sir Paul McCartney, Sir Barry Gibbs, Sir Elton John, Bob Dylan, Stevie Wonder, all these other people think Brian Wilson is a genius. I'm on their side. And, that, and, and, that's, and that's the story I'm going to tell. Uh, the reason I'm, I'm freer in this edition than I, than I was uh, is in, in, the, in the first book is that I was just, I was just a journalist trying to figure out the story in, in the first book. And so I was relying on the, the eyewitness accounts of everybody from Brian's mother to you know people anyone who would talk to me who had been part of that story. This edition is more the journey I've been on with Brian since 1985, uh, with with some help from from close friends. But it's mostly it's mostly that story, and and I think what the reader is getting is is kind of fly on the wall, if you will. And I'm, I, I, it's fair for me to interpret my own experiences the way I experienced them. And, you know, sometimes I'll even say, you know, you know, uh, we were wrong, you know, a moment to pause for how wrong we were. <laughs> and, 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 and so I'm, I'm trying to be uh, as open and candid and as honest as I can ab- about this journey without crossing the line of, of the friendship with Brian, because th- there's, you know, I could, I could write you know, Mark Lewis and linked books about, about his life and career. Um, that's not the, that's not the idea here. The idea here is to, is to, for, for the reader to understand what it took to be Brian Wilson as an artist and, and the roller coaster he's been on all these years under, understand what he's overcome and, and celebrate the fact that he's, he's still standing at 80 having accomplished uh, things that, 40 years ago, no one ever expected. 40 years ago, we expected him to die. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And there are very few subjects who who really deserve this much inspection and reflection. And it's just uh, a, an amazing work. And I think you've kind of set the bar for other writers in, in some ways when, you know, uh, this book is really looked at in the in the pantheon of music books as something to shoot for. Uh, it's called God Only Knows the Story of Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys, and the California Myth Omnibus Press. It just came out, uh, the 2022 brand new edition. David Leaf, what is it? It's Leaf Prod, L-E-A-F-P-R-O-D.com. Thank you for spending some time with me. Totally fascinating. And we've like, just this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more in the book folks uh, should check out. Thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Always happy to talk about Brian Wilson. (laughs) Thanks. Take care.